Hi guys, Kat here. Just got back from the Adventure Overland show. What an incredible time I had. I have covered the whole event and that will be coming out in September with season two. So I really look forward to sharing that with you. In the meantime, here is a recording of a seminar I did, which is solo female van life in the UK and beyond, Destination Bulgaria. If you would like to attend the Adventure Overland show in September, I will put a link to where you can buy your tickets and I hope to see you there. Okay, great. Have a lovely summer, guys. Speak to you soon. One, two, one, two. You can hear me at the back. Lovely. Well, it's 12.59, guys. Right on time. Right on time. Isn't that nice? So, okay, guys. Well, thanks for coming. Um, as you've heard, I, I honestly thought I might just be here on my own. So I'm like, wow, thank you so much. Um, so this is my first time here. Are, are some of you, is that your first time yep. here as well? Yeah, brilliant. And wow, what a weekend it's been. I mean, when it's still, we still got one more day. So that's great. So my name's Kat and I'm going to tell you a little bit about um, my podcast, BFF's UK Van Life Podcast and the places that it's taken me over the last 12 months. So let me start by telling you a little bit about myself. I'm from Devon in the UK. I graduated in the School of Travel, having travelled solo to many countries all over the world in my 20s and 30s. I'm 35 now. Some of the standout moments for me would be travelling overland on the Greyhound bus from New York to Alaska, doing karaoke in Tokyo, Japan, flying in a dodgy plane over Mount Everest, and spending my 24th birthday at the Taj Mahal in India. So lovely memories, and I'm really hoping that I'll continue to make those memories. So as for work, um, as I was just chatting to you guys, I'm a busker full-time. I've been doing that for 10 years now, so I like to think I'm streetwise now. Um, that's been really good, because it's given me a lot of freedom to explore new places in my spare time and choose how I spend my time. So, on to van life. So, I got my first van five years ago, which was um, a Suzuki Carry, and I called it Debbie. And my boyfriend was a carpenter, so he converted it into a micro camper. And I absolutely loved her, although she was very much on the small side. So, one rainy afternoon, I was looking on eBay, as you do when you're into vehicles, you know, you can find yourself quite often, can't you, on Gumtree or whatever, just seeing, seeing what's around. And I saw this big old camper van and I just knew. And the moment I saw it, I actually, oh, I sound like such an emotional person, but I actually started crying and I was like, that's my van. And yeah, she's over there. I, <laughs> I bought her. She's the one with the rainbow, um, as you can see, there's a like rainbow bunting over there bought her I didn't even see her I was just I just said yes hit take my money that's my van um so yeah so after so it's her name is Ronnie she's a Renault traffic 1993 high top camper and we also refitted her so when we bought her she had actually been refitted from the original 1993 but we decided to rip everything out and refit 
and please do feel free to go and have a look if you already have it I will be there after this chat if you want to go and have a nose in there and see what we did so after buying Ronnie I'm not really like a social media kind of person but I decided oh I'm gonna go and join some van life groups so I joined some van life groups and I was really amazed to have access to all these people that shared my love of travel and bands. I really wanted to actually talk to these people and hear all about their life stories and how did they come to this place. And I also thought that maybe if I had an excuse to interview more van lifers, that it would help me with my own anxieties. Even with all my experience as a solo traveller, I've really considered myself you know, quite fearless in the way that I've explored the world. I was really shocked to find that when I was in Ronnie and I was going up to Dartmoor or, or anything like that, I was really scared and I would get freaked out when camping on my own and my imagination would just run wild. You know, I'd be in there and I'd hear a little noise and I'd be like, oh my God, what's that? Someone's coming, they're coming to get me. You know, that was what was happening. So. After joining these social media groups, I also noticed that a lot of other women had posted really similar feelings about, you know, feeling anxious and nervous about going out on their own. So I really felt like I wanted to do something that would, like, empower them and myself to become braver and, and achieve their dreams, you know, not let their anxiety stop them like I felt it was stopping me. And really, that's how the podcast was born. I ended up having some incredible conversations with other women and it was, yeah, it was really inspiring just hearing about their experiences, really. But the conversation that made the biggest impact on me was when I spoke to Jodie. So at the time of the interview with Jodie, I wasn't in a happy place. I was in a really grotty shared house. It was really dirty and just depressing. It didn't feel like home. And I was feeling a little bit hopeless about the future um, and where I would live. You know, we all know that the UK does have a housing crisis. You know, a lot of people are forced into accommodation that they might not choose um, and often they can't afford as well. So a little bit about Jodie. So Jodie was my age, independent, well-traveled. You know, we really connected, very similar mindset. And I was so inspired, you know, hearing her story. She traveled, she toured with bands around Europe, you know, she drove them around and she had a Ford Transit van, which she dr um, drove down to Portugal to surf for six months. Jodie also told me that she had a house in Bulgaria. What she'd done, she literally, she just Googled cheapest place to live in world. Bulgaria came up and as, as she said, well, I just drove to Bulgaria and bought a house. You know, no big deal. Um, yeah, and you know, she was so casual about this and, and what I saw is an epic journey that I thought, oh, okay, maybe it's not so difficult after all. So an idea started to formulate in my mind. I couldn't, oh, I, I forgot a bit. Yeah, I, so um, I actually, oh, I might have said this bit, sorry. Um, so I'd actually always just wanted to live you know, in a field, in a caravan. Um, did I say that bit? Oh, good. That's good. I'm glad. But, you know, this is almost impossible in the UK, you know, unless you've got a lot of money and you're, you know, familiar with the planning permissions. Um, so i just kind of given up on that. So when I heard she'd bought this house, you know, in Bulgaria, I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I could go to Bulgaria and I could get 
a bit of land and have my caravan. You know, I looked at the, the house prices. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever really um, looked in this area, but I mean, you can you can buy a house for a thousand pounds in Bulgaria. It's it's very cheap. So I ran this idea past my boyfriend, and he told me he thought it was stupid. Well, that did it. I was going to Bulgaria. So how was I going to get there? I thought about this podcast and how I wanted to prove to people that they could be brave and I knew I had to drive there, didn't I? So this might not sound much to some of you um, experienced overland types, but something about me is that I have always been a very nervous driver. I failed my driving test five times um, because I'd be so nervous that I would, I would so in my head that I would literally, I drove straight through a red light and things like that because I was just so tense. So, you know, the, the thought of this trip was very overwhelming to me. Also, I'd never driven more than 250 miles <laughs> in one go. Um, and the, and um, the UK to Bulgaria is about 2,000 miles, um, just to give you some perspective. But something in me knew that this was my chance and I had to be brave and give it a try. So I booked my ferry ticket over to France and with Jodie's help, began planning a route that would take me through France, Germany, Austria, Hungary, Romania, and finally to Bulgaria. As I said, approximately 2,000 miles, which I was expecting um, would take me around 10 days. So I had two weeks, right? I made this decision and then I just, I had two weeks before I would leave. I don't know about you guys, but I always find it's best to book the ticket first because that puts a bit of a fire under you and you're like, oh my God, I've paid the money, I've got to go. The planning kept me too busy to worry, but the moment I got on that ferry to France, I felt like I'd made a huge mistake. I was on my own in this little cabin and I was just laying there thinking like, what have you done? Like, what have you done? Um, <laughs> so um, the roads from Roscoff ferry port was small and manageable. It was a good start for right-hand side driving. But when the time came to join the motorway, it was dark, rainy, and there was a lot of traffic on the road. The truck drivers did not take kindly to this old van that was driving less than 50 miles an hour. And I was panicking already when I heard this awful clunking noise and this scratching of glass. And I realized that my windscreen wiper had just flown off, never to be seen again. So I turned off the motorway and I could no longer hold back the tears. I just sobbed my heart out by the side of the road. This wasn't just about the windscreen wiper, guys, you know. <laughs> this was everything. This was my fears, you know, everything. All my insecurities about this trip. I hadn't even driven a hundred miles and I was already crying by the side of the road, defeated. So how could I possibly drive all the way to Bulgaria? That day got worse as I managed to spill diesel all over myself and my shoes at the petrol station, ruining some of the only clothes that I had bought with me. And I don't know if any of you guys have ever spilled diesel on something. It's very difficult to get. You will not, you know, you basically need to throw it away. So I was stinky and defeated would sum me up perfectly in that moment. So Looking at the little blue dot on Google Maps that night when I settled down to sleep in a random lay-by, Bulgaria seemed impossibly far away. 
before I passed out from complete emotional exhaustion, I actually posted a message on social media about my day and how I was feeling, you know, how awful it had been. And um, when I woke up in the morning, I had hundreds of messages from fellow van lifers who were sending their love and support. And honestly, if it hadn't have been for those people sending support, I would have turned around and gone home that, that morning. So I was so scared after that to go on the motorway after my experience that I ended up taking the D roads through France. So the, the D roads are like, I guess there are A roads. They're very straight, um, quieter, but longer. It takes a longer time to get anywhere. This took, oh, the other thing is they, go, they often go through villages and things so you really, and speed bumps. So you really have to slow your speed down. So I ended up averaging 30 miles an hour, which was nice, Pro to be honest, probably less. And my sat-nav also had some really interesting ideas about w what route I should be taking as well. I remember actually driving all day and feeling so proud of myself only to look at the map and realize I'd only driven you know, 150 miles. I eventually decided it was time to get back on the motorway if I had any chance at all of making it to Bulgaria. I was feeling like I would get cabin fever if I, if I didn't speed up as well, because being alone you know, in, in that metal box basically meant I had no escape from the thoughts and these fears that plagued me. I was forced to face my anxieties and my fears. You know, what if this happened? What if that happened? What if, what if, what if? I realized if I was gonna make it, I had to stop all this worrying, especially as I was being faced with actual problems in the present. For example, the weird guy who opened the door of my van one morning, tried to grab my boobs, then with a smile and a flourish, produced a condom out of his pocket <laughs> with a look that said, how about it? Or the mouse that had gotten into my van, was pooing all over the place and running across my sleeping bag at night, which was lovely. Or, of course, the truck drivers driving right up to my bumper at full speed and flashing their lights at me. The amount of time I spent crying and shouting, I can't go any faster, has given me PTSD, post-truck stress disorder. <laughs> Every time something happened like that, I wanted to turn around and go home. I programmed my sat-nav to take me to Calais at least five times. I would sit in the driving seat, ready to go, but something just always stopped me, and I actually found I physically just could not start, I just, I just could not do it. Keeping up with traffic in this um, 1993 camper van was a big challenge for me. Even at top speed, my old van, you know, I mean, 60 miles an hour, and you feel like you're gonna take off. So um, other drivers found this really difficult, especially on places like the Autobahn in Germany. I don't know if any of you have ever driven um, in the Autobahn, but the speed, I don't think they even have a speed limit. Yeah, so I mean, they are zooming, you know, in their VWs and their, you know, BMWs, and um, they found it very, really frustrating. But I just learned to phase out those impatient drivers, and I just had to concentrate on what, what I was doing. 
The other place that I found really difficult was the Austria-Hungary border. Now that's, there's a lot of big cities around there and there's lots of lane changes and very unsympathetic traffic. But like all the challenges I faced on my journey, I just used the mantra, you can do it, you can do it, and somehow got through. So I saw everything that I had gone through at this point as training for what was the most dangerous and terrifying experience of my life so far, driving in Romania. Something Jody seemed to have forgotten to warn me about was that Romania has some of the worst driving conditions in Europe and it actually has the highest fatality rate. Most Romanians behave as if driving is a fight to the death and the winner is whoever can do the craziest things before they eventually crash. They don't believe in speed limits and they actually seem to be very offended if you try to stick to the speed limits. This will end up with people riding your bumper, flashing their lights until they can dangerously overtake you into oncoming traffic at a blind corner. So that's the kind of thing I was, I was dealing with. And the roads in Romania, guys. Some of these switchbacks were as if someone had taken some spaghetti, thrown it at a map and gone, yep, that's where the road will be. So I say roads, but what I should say is half roads, no street lights, no markings, and a sheer drop on either side in, in some cases. I constantly swerved for stray dogs or herds of goats, and once I had to swerve into oncoming traffic to avoid a man who was just nonchalantly, you know, stood in the middle of the road looking at a leaf blower on a blind corner. Yeah, so that was great. The only way I got through Romania was by waking up at 4am, putting on Eye of the Tiger by Survivor on repeat. You know, getting myself pumped up and just repeating to myself, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this over and over again. I found positive self-talk really helped me in this. That was, that, I don't know what I could have done if, if I didn't um, use that tool. I took regular stops to, to pull over and sob, and I wondered how many novice Western Europeans before me had actually done the same thing, but probably would never actually admit it. <laughs> By the time I had driven the majority of the Romanian leg of my journey, I had changed. I was steely-eyed, I was tough, I was ready for anything. and. I was no longer affected by the truck drivers riding right close to me or the scary driving conditions. In short, I was now a badass. <laughs> I was finally in control of my anxious thoughts and living in the present moment. So the miles were flying by and before I knew it, I was just a few miles away from my final destination, the Bulgarian border. When I saw the words, Republic of Bulgaria, I was crying again, but this time with happiness. After all the fear, all the worries, and the times that I'd wanted to turn back, I'd actually completed the journey. I was so proud of myself. I cannot explain to you. I was delirious uh, with, with joy, uh, really. you know That might have been pure exhaustion, but I'm going to say it was joy. So it took me 12 days in, in total to get there, which I was actually re really happy with. I spent a lovely winter in, in Bulgaria, learning about the country, 
enjoying village life and looking at houses and land. And um, in February, I made my return journey to the UK, not through Romania, but south through Greece, Italy and France. I drove back a confident, capable and experienced driver and I'm happy to report I didn't cry once. <laughs> After my adventure, I now have no fear sleeping anywhere in my van and long distances now excite me rather than scare me. I've learnt that there is a, re a reward waiting at the other side of fear and this is a feeling that I now chase. I've, re you know, I've actually started cold water swimming because of that same thing. I had a phobia of deep water and I thought, hey, come on, you drove to Bulgaria. And do you remember how good you felt afterwards? Come on, get in that water, you know, push yourself, challenge yourself. And, I, <laughs> and I'm chasing that buzz. Now I understand, you know, why people climb mountains or take on impossible, seemingly impossible challenges. It's for the buzz at the end. Did I find my home in Bulgaria? Well, I have Bulgarian residency now and I will return to Bulgaria when I can and continue my search for the perfect place to stick my caravan. I'm not much of a photographer, um, but I did take one picture and I don't think it will surprise you to, to see what it was. So let me just... Um, <laughs> That's the Republic of Bulgaria sign. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> if you would like to hear me crying across Europe, um, and also some other really inspirational stories of other um, van lifers from the UK. You can check out, uh, oh, it's gone now, but um, I've got some business cards and flyers and things there if you would like to check out the podcast. Um, yeah, so that's it, guys. Um, if anyone's got any questions, please feel free, but also I will be over by my van if anyone wants to have a chat at all. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Sorry, sorry. What did you do with the man that came? My question. My question. That's the best part of the story. Right, so, yes. So, um, you, you what I did is, um, <laughs> I, I actually, um, it was actually really scary, I've got to say. I was, yeah. It was very scary. Yeah. And, and um, when he did his lovely, you know, seduction technique, yeah. Yeah. Um, he... Oh my God. Yeah, he looked at me right in the eyes and um, I could see that there really wasn't, something really wasn't right, you know, with this person. Um, and I realised I had to make sure I handled it really, you know, calmly because I didn't want it to escalate. Um, so I, I just said, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, just no, no thank you. And, and he said, pourquoi? Pourquoi? Um, and I took this opportunity to be a bit more sassy and I just went, pourquoi? And I, and I just kind of rolled up the window and just looked very, you know, mm, like this. And um, thankfully, he then walked away. So, but I was, oh my goodness, I felt so sick. I was, ang I was so angry. I was so angry with him. I just, I was furious. So I just got out of there, parked up somewhere, and I actually recorded an audio of me just being like, you'll never believe what just happened to me. And I, I was considering reporting him to the police, actually, but because I was on a journey, I, you know, I, I didn't really have time to do that. So I, I just thought, okay. But I did actually... Um, so have you guys heard of Park4Night, the app Park4Night? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, if anyone hasn't heard of this, it's an app that's really good for finding park-ups if you're in an unfamiliar place, it's free. Um, and it was actually in a park for night space. Um, so I did actually write on there, you know, danger, <laughs> you know, that uh, this man did approach me and just please be careful and remember to lock your doors. But, um, you know, I learned from that experience. I never left my doors unlocked after that, as you can imagine. So, yeah. It was the same question. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and obviously, for, for, for any single woman, it's the, the worst possible yeah, thing, isn't it? And to need it to know how you got out of it, but obviously you were very lucky because if you'd been more forceful. Yeah. yeah. Or if he'd have felt um, angry, you know, and it, you yeah, know, it could have escalated. Yeah. But yeah. no, I'm really proud of how I dealt with it. Actually, yeah, well um, yeah I managed to retain my Call calm, which is night. good for me. <laughs> yeah. Remember somebody grabbing me when when the bouncer picked him up off the floor. Oh my goodness! Oh, that's good. That's good. It's good it was taken seriously. Because, you know, it's been a while, you know, we've had to put up with yeah. this without anyone I, caring a for a long time, then, so, say, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Great. <laughs> any other questions? Did you have any? Oh, oh sorry. I'm Great question. So, my lovely van, okay, travelled 4,000 miles without really a hitch. Um, so I did have a couple of issues. I had, um, when I was in Bulgaria, uh, one night the temperature dropped down to minus 20 and all the pipes, like the water, I've got a little sink in there, all the pipes froze um, and the battery went flat. Um, but a quick jump start was fine. So I, I just, um, you know, asked, asked for, for help from someone and, and they, they jumped it for me. Um, and the other thing that happened is, um, one of my headlights went, and I've got the original manual for the um, for the van, and I changed the headlight myself, which might not sound like a big deal to some of you, but I was so proud of myself. I was like, I changed the headlight, come on. <laughs> yeah, but apart from that, I didn't have any problems at all. Yeah. Did you have a contingency budget for the worst scenario to get yourself back? Or yeah. were you really flying by the seat of the van? So I was really lucky, well, I mean, you know, I had actually inherited some money from um, my dad passed away um, and I wasn't expecting anything and I wasn't actually, you know, going to be um, owed anything. But, but because I'd been there to support the family, they, they gave me some money out of the house sale. So I, that was so, you know, it was so amazing to know that I had a chunk of money in the bank that if anything went wrong, I had that money, so, yeah. um, but like the chicks say, you, you don't actually need, you know, you, you, you can rely on, on the kindness of strangers in these situations, and a lot of the time, it's when you have no money and you're broken down and all those things, that's when you make those really important connections with people and you can share kindness and, um, yeah, so but that's the, the situation there. for you, and that, you know, that's obviously, well, some, Peace of mind, really. You knew you could get Absolutely. out of it. Absolutely. Would you do it Absolutely. if you hadn't got that sort of fail safe? Um, I well, I think I probably would definitely have. Um, I don't know if any of you saw Jerry Mulligan the other day. Um, so he said it's always good to carry some money um, in your vehicle um, in a hidden place. He carries two thousand pounds in dollar, uh, two thousand pounds, two thousand dollars with him for any emergency situation. So. I would suggest always doing that because he actually made a really good point as well which is that like 
if you do have an accident, and many people have accidents when traveling, you know, you just got to accept that, that that could be something that happens. Mm. Um, it's really handy if you can settle it in cash there and then and continue your journey. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, yeah, uh, that's a really good question. So um, what I would really like is to create um, a space where people can come and live a life close to nature um, and simple simplicity, because something about Bulgaria is something that I've loved, because um, I stayed in a little village while I was there, um, is the simplicity of life. When you live in a little rural village, your life is very simple and it's very beautiful. And um, so I want to be able to give other people that. So I'm thinking what I'd like to do is buy um, a plot of land with maybe like an old wrecked house on it and offer people very affordable, um, you know, accommodation. They can come and bring their own accommodation or use the space, but for, a, you know, incredibly affordable money just so that I can keep, keep it running. And I just feel like something really beautiful might, might um, happen with that, but that's honestly, that's my only plan at the moment, yeah. Yeah, just to also, sorry, just to have the space, you know, just to be able to walk out of a, um, uh, like here, walk out of the van onto the grass and just sit down and enjoy the fresh air and, yeah, yeah. That's a really good question. So um, I actually did this trip between lockdown one and two because I knew that if I waited until after Brexit, my chance was gone. So that was very um, like a moral dilemma for me to be traveling in, in this time, but um, I made the decision to go. Um, and obviously, because I was isolating and everything, I, I felt like I knew I could be responsible and just go for it um, before Brexit. Because um, it, but actually, funnily enough, Bulgaria have are still giving people residence cards. So um, if anyone has looked into Bulgaria or you're, you're looking into it, um, just be aware that actually at the moment, even though Brexit's happened, you can go over there and you can get your residency. And um, it is so easy. It took me like about 10 minutes. Yeah. Wow. Um, Bulgarian, like, no, no, not at all. Not for residency. No, it's 30 pounds. You need about a hundred pound. You need a Bulgarian bank account and a Bulgarian address, but that's very easy. You know, in these countries, it's very easy to wangle yourself a Bulgarian address for the paperwork. Um, you know, so that's up to you how you feel about doing something like that. Um, and yeah, so a hundred pounds in your bank account, Bulgarian address, um, thirty quid, and ten minutes at the office, and you're done. And then you get your five-year residency card. Yep. Yeah, they reckon it's not going to change for another year, but obviously with these things, they change, you know, they change very quickly. Yeah. Okay. Pardon? Yeah, so I've got my five-year residence card, and then I think there's another application if you want to um, become a permanent resident. But um, Bulgaria, um, the president or the prime minister of Bulgaria, has made it incredibly clear that British people are welcome to come to Bulgaria. You know, we're welcomed there. So um, I think they'll make it easy for us, even in this time, um, to go there. Sorry, I was, did I see a hand somewhere then? Oh, yes, yes.
No. Touch wood, yes. Um, I am known to reverse into things every now and then. Um, but no, I've been... Uh, I'm actually at a point now where I feel really like I understand the size of the vehicle and I'm, I feel very confident driving on all sorts of different roads and, and that just feels fantastic because when I first picked this up, the drive home, I was going at like 15 miles an hour and I was just like, this steering wheel is so big, I don't know. You know but now I'm really just loving it, yeah. But so you've got to be careful as well not to be too confident because that's when you can have an accident if you, you know, yeah, if you're too confident and too cocky then yeah, so I'm, I'm being mindful of that and just winding my neck in every now and then when I'm just like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Come on, slow down a bit and just be safe, yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness, okay, so um, I had, how long had I had it since I, so I'd had it for a good few months, so I kind of had what I needed in there um, for daily life already sorted, um, but then I had to get all my European stuff. So off the top of my head, I think you guys might be able to help me with this. What do you need for to travel to Europe? Don't you need um, a warning triangle, um, spare light bulbs? You can have uh, things on first your, aid uh, kit. On your, on your headlamp bulb. Uh, spare bulbs. Oh yes, headlight deflectors. Yeah. And in some countries now you can have a, a breath test. Breath, a breathalyzer test. Yeah, yeah. That's been, I think that's been phased out now. Yeah, it was France. You had to carry a breathalyzer. Uh, what was the other one someone shouted out? Fluorescent jacket. Um, but you can buy all these things, like the AA do like a kit. So you can do like, Euro and I, I can't remember how much it cost. Um, and I also got chocks. Do you know what chocks are? They're, they're leveling blocks. You might have seen some around this weekend. They're wedges, so you can get like a nice flat, um, uh, bed basically wherever you go okay so at the moment I'm part-time in my van so I'm there three four times a week three nights a week I should say um, and the other few nights I have a room I'm renting a room in Gunners Lake in Cornwall which is in the Tamar Valley um, area of natural beauty and um, I go there and I put the washing machine on and I put the tumble dryer on and I run a big hot bath and I stay in there for three hours um, and <laughs> I just watch TV. Yeah, absolutely. I have no guilt at all about when I'm there. I just use all the facilities um, and I cook what I like, like to do because van life can be quite stressful and exhausting. So I get a big cooking pot. I go to the shop before I get home. I get a big cooking pot. I make myself a lovely big veggie soup that lasts me a few days and I just have a, like a retreat time and that's how I spend my time and then when I'm um, in my van I'm in Plymouth normally I'm based in Plymouth and um, as I said I'm a busker so I go busking in the day and then I park up at a lovely spot by the sea and I go swimming and I go walking and yeah that's that's my life which is really lovely to say that I'm really happy with, with that so yeah so um, we've got a couple more minutes if anyone's got any last questions. Yes? Oh my goodness, there are loads. I'm probably not the best person to ask um, because I am a busker um, and that's been how I've made my money. Um, let me think who, who's the best person to talk to. 
have you spoken to Tash and John today, uh, over the weekend at all from Life Beyond Bricks? They, they would be good ones to speak to. I think they make a living traveling. John and Mandy, um, YouTubers here. Um, let me think off the top of my head. No, I'm sorry, I'm the worst person to answer that one. <laughs> I do apologise. Sorry, I saw another... Could you paraphrase the question? I couldn't quite hear it. So what's um, a good... The funny thing is, actually, I did a whole episode on working on the road. I just can't remember what I said. But yeah, if, if there's um, an episode on my podcast, it's all about working on the road. So um, it's got all the different things. Because I've actually done a lot of um, voluntary work and stuff. Um, but obviously that's not paid but you do get you know, an, a good exchange and it makes your money last longer. So you could have a job, for example, um, you, know, you could work in a cafe all summer and you could have a bit of money and then you could spend the next six months doing these volunteer exchange things and, and making that money really stretch and getting your accommodation and your food, you know, and um, yeah. But working on the road, episode 12, um, I did know it at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, yeah, it really depends. It's a bit of it's one. It's funny, isn't it? It's like a bone of contention in the van life community. It's like. Yeah, no, I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, a hundred percent because it makes you feel safer as well. Because you know, they they might be places that you'll see other camper vans. The reviews, yeah. There's so there's a review system on on Park for Night, which is where I put the review about that that guy. Um, yes, but what I will say, I don't know. What I actually said this in the um, episode about working on the road as well. Um, you've really got to read between the lines with reviews. Like just because somewhere's got five out of five, don't assume you're safe in, in that in that space. You need you need to remember that. You know. Um, but yeah, I would highly recommend it. I think there's another one, um, there's a few out there. Camper Cadet. I Overlander. Yeah, and I think, it'll, isn't it, it's quite um, widely used in America, I believe, as well. Anybody else? Yeah. Oh my God, that's such a great question. Um, okay, so I had so much, so many problems with this. I really had to, you know, manage my thoughts. Um, and a really good one that I kept saying to myself. Um, now, what was it? So basically, whenever I had a hypothetical thought, I'd be like, and now back in the real world and just have a little look around and just really be like, and now back in reality, let's have a look around and see what's actually happening. And you know, nothing was happening, you know? So I kept doing that and it was really funny to do that. And it made me laugh at myself for having these ridiculous ideas. Um, but I will say on my way there, I don't think I realized what kind of a toolkit I needed um, to be able to do it, you know, cause it's really hard, you know, you're on your own in this, space and you don't, you know you don't, I didn't speak to a single person that's on the way to Bulgaria um, you know I didn't see a single face you know everyone was wearing a mask it was you know and I and I suffered with that and I was I felt so isolated and 
Um, but what I, so what I did is I wrote a list of things that would help me to feel better and more healthy. So good food, fresh vegetables, make a big pot of veggie soup, um, and you know just really try to make sure you're eating eating well. Stay hydrated. Um, I made sure I listened to positive music every day um, and sang because I love to sing. Stay warm. I made sure that um, I was always warm um, because you can feel really depressed if you're like cold and um, and what else? Exercise every day, even if it's just dancing around. You know, sometimes I couldn't go outside. You know, and sometimes I felt it wasn't appropriate to go outside because we we're in a pandemic. So I wouldn't. You know, I, I and that was really difficult actually. You know, to 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 have to stay in in the van. So on the way back. What I did is I just used to dance. I used to stay in the van and just dance to like Beyonce and like Destiny Child and Spice Girls and just be like, yeah, and like that just put me in such a good mood. Um, because on my way back, actually, I didn't mention this. As I left Bulgaria, the, it was a beautiful sunny day, and then all of a sudden, massive snowstorm. It was the it was by far the worst and most dangerous driving conditions that I'd had, um, and I handled it so well. Um, but the next day, um, it was almost basically impossible to drive, um, and it was really scary. So I just pulled over, stuck the Spice Girls on, did some dancing, ate an apple, and just waited. And I had that attitude on the way back. So I think, um, to, obviously, everyone has a, their own personal toolbox for fitness and health. And as long as you um, write that down and have it really visible and just keep stick to that, that will definitely help, really. Um, I think we might maybe just take one more question, if that's okay, just because I don't want to run over. So, any any last questions? Can you tell, us, tell us a little bit about Micro Camper. How did you find the first vehicle you had, and how does it sit there? Have the right size? Are they limiting you, or are they better for getting? Oh my around? God, that's a great question. Okay, Micro Campers. So, Micro Campers are such a good way to get into van life because they're inexpensive. Um, they're not. A massively stressful build as well you can do a micro camper pretty quickly because um, as those of you know who have camper vans and um, the build can sap all of your energy and all of your hopes and dreams um, so you know get yourself a little micro camper um, YouTube obviously is a great um, resource you know you can make something really simply that's a great thing about micro campers the other thing is they're um, more stealthy as well because people don't expect people just to sleep in them um, Space-wise, uh, on a sunny day, absolutely fine. Just open all the doors. Do the you know, a lot of micro camps have the slide-out kitchen, so you get the, you know, the door open. Do your cooking outside. Lovely. Excuse me, but um, in the rain, it's like a bit of a different situation. And I, I've got to say, I loved my micro camper, and I actually felt fine in there, but. Every now and then you did kind of feel like you're in a coffin or something. <laughs> you know, you're just a bit like, oh my goodness. Um, but such a good way to, to um, start off. Um, you can probably get like a decent vehicle for like about £1,500, I would say, is a really affordable, you know, not massively affordable, but way more affordable than like, you know, 10 grand or something for, for a, a decent, reliable, um, bigger vehicle. So. Yeah, um, what else? Anything else about micro campers that you wanted to know? Or? Yeah, oh, really? Oh, brilliant! Yeah, oh, and if you want to hear about a really teeny tiny micro camper, I did an episode with a girl called Nikki, and she has she she full timed in a Citroen Nemo, 
for two years. And I don't know if any of you know, but have a look, have a look around next time you're out and about for a Citroen Nemo. You will not believe that she full time It's literally the smallest van you can imagine. Like, um, yeah, anyway, so I think I'll wrap it up here. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And thank you so much for coming. It was a real surprise. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode. I will be back in September for season two with some amazing guests, awesome product reviews, and some incredible van life event coverage, as well as the coverage of the Adventure Overland show. So I hope to see you then. Bye.